Not much. Not much. The Roman Empire was as brutal and immoral as any civilization that's ever existed. Rampant perversion, homosexuality, pagan religions were the order of the day. Politically, they were corrupt. Their economy was rigged. They used every type of force at their disposal to attack, subdue, and control nation after nation. Like the radical Islam of today, their brutality and aggression knew no boundaries, no limits, and no mercy. World domination and absolute surrender was their intent. But standing in their way then and standing in the way of tyranny today is the church. Why do some historians give at least partial credit to the church for the fall of the Roman Empire? What enabled the church to grow and to reach the entire known world in one generation? What caused the church to multiply and expand rapidly while enduring the harshest persecution in history? Culture was against them. The government was against them. The pagan religions, religious systems of the day was against them, yet they thrived. The church has a secret weapon. It always has and it always will. It's become our distinctive, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, if you turn there, I'd like to read a, a phrase, just a passage to you. I love to read from John's writings. We talk about Luke being the great historian, and most of you have heard if you've been in Bible study or small groups and you've studied the Gospel of Luke or the book of Acts, you've heard people talk about the extreme uh, value historically of Luke's writings. But what we say about Luke as it relates to history, we say about John as it relates to theology. John was known as the great theologian, the beloved theologian. Perhaps it was because he'd lived longer than the other disciples, than the other apostles as best we understand and can tell. But there's such insight we gain into the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to take uh, just a few moments with you today and kind of break this subject open and hopefully set the tenor and the tone of these next series of services that we're going to have because I believe that God wants to do something great and powerful in this time. I'm asking you to prepare your hearts because I know pastor has done that as well because I believe that there is something monumental that God wants to do in this season and this time that we have together. This is not just another convenient summer series or an opportunity to get together. There is something meaningful and powerful at the spiritual level that God wants to do. So I want to read a little passage out of Revelation and then we'll turn back to the Gospel of John. You have to understand the context, though, of John writing in Revelation. I mean, John has, has survived most of the apostles and uh, Tertullian, the church father, in, in around 150 A.D., who lived just a few years after John's death, said that Domitian, the Roman emperor, tried to boil John in oil at the Colosseum, but he wouldn't burn. Tertullian went on to report that there were mass conversions in the Colosseum that day. In fact, he records and says that everyone in the Colosseum, when they saw that apostle who wouldn't burn, converted to Christianity. They didn't know what to do. What happens when you've got so much of the power of the Holy Spirit in you that they can't even burn you up? 
They didn't know what to do with him, and so they banished him to an island prison camp called Patmos. And there he writes to us in his 90s as the book of Revelation. But I want to draw your attention to something he says. If you look at verse number 9, chapter 1, I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulations and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God. Notice why he was there. He wasn't there because he mishandled the funds or ran off with the secretary. He was there for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. But notice verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. About 60 years after the ascension and after the resurrection, John is claiming credentials based on the fact that he is in the Spirit. All that he would write and that would be unfolded in this amazing book called Revelation, John would give credit to the power of the Holy Spirit. In John's writings, we hear much about the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, John devotes almost the entirety of his book, or certainly a large portion of his book, to the power of the Holy Spirit. If you study the Gospel of John, you'll find out the beginning in chapter number 13 through mostly the balance of the chapter, he is essentially writing about the night Jesus was betrayed, the last telling for us, essentially just a very few days in the life and the ministry of Jesus. It's interesting because beginning with chapter number 13, it's as if John gives us a transcript of what's being discussed with Jesus and his disciples on the night that he's betrayed. We traditionally talk about the Lord's Supper and the last supper that he shared with his disciples and how he washed their feet. He certainly did all of those things. But he also had a lot to say. And it's interesting that if you read the transcript, essentially, that John leaves for us, that you find that there is little spoken about the cross and not very much spoken about the resurrection. But he, he pounds again and again and again on the work of the Holy Spirit. It was like Jesus understood that the takeaway moment for the disciples, the thing that they need to gain and to garner for themselves that would see them through the events of the days and, and weeks and years ahead was not just the story of his crucifixion. That would be the cornerstone of redemption. It wasn't just the story of the resurrection. That would be the, the authority by which they would go and preach the gospel in lands. But he understood that if they didn't didn't get anything else from his ministry. They needed to understand the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. So we drop backwards. Let's go backwards just a little bit to as I lay a few moments of foundation and go back to John chapter number 20. And let's see what Jesus says. This is the very day of his resurrection. The very day of his resurrection. Beginning in verse number 19. You know that he's come out of the grave. And he's appeared to Mary. He told Mary, Mary, don't touch me, for I've yet to ascend to my Father in heaven. And then he's appeared on the road to Emmaus to some beleaguered apostles or disciples. And now toward the end of the day, in verse number 19, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, and Jesus said to them again, peace be to you. He knew they were afraid. 
He knew with all the persecution that was going on and all that was about to happen, the very best words he could say to them right off the bat is don't be afraid. Did you know there are about 365 times in the scripture that the words don't be afraid or fear not are used? There's one of those for every single day of the year in your life. No matter what the enemy's thrown your way, no matter what he has planned, no matter what you're going through, been through, or about to go through, I'm going to tell you what, when the resurrected Lord looks at you and says don't be afraid, it's going to be all right. I, I was praying not long ago and I was listening about ISIS and all those things and when you saw those words on the screen you probably thought I was about to preach about ISIS but the interesting thing is what's happening today is exactly what was happening then and as I began to pray about it and I have to admit I was a little anxious I'd probably been watching too much news you know and so I was a little anxious about it and I said Lord like what are we going to do what, what is the church to do what are we going to do and the Holy Spirit stopped me in my steps and said what do you mean what are you going to do What do you mean, what are y'all going to do? This is not about what you're going to do. This is about what I'm going to do. You really shouldn't be saying, Lord, what are we going to do? You ought to be asking me, Lord, what are you going to do? Hallelujah. That's pretty good preaching for a young guy like me, as pastor says. I, that was an encouraging moment when the Lord said, this is not about you. This is not about what you can do. This is about what I can do through you. So I looked at that and noticed that Jesus said, Do not be afraid. And then verse 22, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. The title of my message today is Four Words That Are Larger Than Life. Now count them with me. Receive the Holy Spirit. Four words that are larger than life. They're larger than the events of the day. They're larger than the difficulties that we see in Washington or on Wall Street or in Hollywood. They're larger than what's going on in Eastern Europe or the Middle East. Are y'all in the room with me? There is something bigger and grander and greater than all of the events of the day. We shouldn't be dismayed when we see people being persecuted because that was a promise. The Lord told us that would happen. But he also said there would be power that we could arise beyond the, 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 the situations and the issues of the day. And instead of being terrified, we can stand up and know that God is for us. He breathed on them. Now, many scholars consider this actually the impartation of the new covenant. When before the day of Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit was poured out, Jesus breathed on his disciples. And there seems to be a correlation between the sending of Jesus by the Father and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus was sent in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know how Jesus did what he did? He was sent in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the hallmark of Jesus Christ's life. I need a better amen than that. Did you know the Bible says Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit? How did Mary get pregnant? It was by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is the one that orchestrated the miraculous birth of Jesus as Messiah. It was the Holy Spirit that caused the, 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 the shepherds who were watching by their flocks to hear the angelic voice. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus then was born and began his ministry, the Bible says that he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. But before he was led by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit descended on him as a dove. When he was baptized... He was led by the, will, by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. He returned in the power of the Holy Spirit according to the word of God. Are y'all in the room with me? At his first message, Jesus claimed that it was the Spirit of the Lord that was upon him and it had anointed him to preach the good news to the poor. I say all that to you today because I want you to understand that we need the power of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, if Jesus Christ came into this world and everything he did was orchestrated, ordained, and established by the power of the Holy Spirit, then how do we think that we can have good church without the power of the Holy Spirit? You need the Holy Spirit in your life. This particular passage in John is the equivalent of John's great commission. But Jesus knew that they could not stand up against what was ahead unless they were breathed on by God. The first commandment, listen, the first commandment of the resurrected Lord was not for them to have small groups, though small groups are important. The first command of the resurrected Lord was not for them to have a great praise team, but a great praise team is important. The first command of the resurrected Lord was not anything to do about how we do church. The first command of the resurrected Lord was to receive the Holy Spirit. That's a command. That's a command. The word spirit in the Greek is pneuma. Pneuma. In the Hebrew it's ruach. Both mean spirit, wind, or breath. Essentially what Jesus was saying is you need to receive the breath of God. But it could be translated this way. Receive God by breath. And he breathed on them. He exhaled on them. So I have a word for the church today. No matter what your denominational background, no matter what your style of worship, no matter where you meet or how long your services are, the church can't survive without the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you can have politics, but you can't have power. Without the Holy Spirit, you can have committees, but you won't have consecration. Without the Holy Spirit, you'll have songs, but they won't be worship. You can have decisions, but they won't be disciples. Is anybody in the room with me today? I'm talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, it's not the acts of the apostles. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and disciples. It's always been the Holy Spirit. What's the purpose of this introductory monologue is to remind you that it has been the Holy Spirit that gave birth to the church. It is the Holy Spirit that brought forth Jesus in redemption. It is the Holy Spirit that will do what we must have done today. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not a take it or leave it thing. It's not, well, if I get my mind set up, well, then I'll try to get in and have a good service. No, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. It is our air. It is our oxygen. It is our power. Hallelujah. And further, I would say that the Holy Spirit is the only thing that's ever worked and it's the only thing that ever will work. Today we're confronted on every side to submit to the pressures of the politically correct, 
to surrender our values and our distinctives and our mission. But I ask one question, how can we comply with these demands for each of the things that have been mentioned are derived by the power of the Holy Spirit? We cannot surrender the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that makes us what we are and who we are. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us hope. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us life. We cannot seek to please a world lost in sin at the expense of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that again. We cannot seek to please a world that's lost in sin at the expense of the abiding power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We want to be popular, we want to be relevant, we want to be accepted, but not at the expense of the Holy Spirit. We can't budge, we can't move. The Word of God says what it says and it is what it is and it's empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. If they take us to jail, if they put us in prison, if they take us to the, to the block of martyrdom, whatever will happen, whatever we face, the power of the Holy Spirit will stand up in us and give us the power to endure what we must endure, but we will not change the power of the Holy Spirit. I think it was Corey Ten Boom who talked with her father during the great oppression of the Holocaust this precious Christian family, and she asked as a child her dad and said, Dad, I'd, I'd hear you talk about the grace of God, but I'm afraid. How do I know? What, how does God's grace work in moments of difficulty? And he says, Corey, it works this way. It's like the trial that you're getting on is a train. And when you need the grace of God, it's like a ticket. And when it's time to get aboard, God will give you your pass. If you wondered like I have how those people can be marched out by those ISIS terrorists and beheaded, and it seems like they do it with such peace and resolve. I'll tell you how. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. How is it? What is it that gives the courage to Egyptian Christians who just had their churches burned down and many of them killed to begin to collect funds among their meager group to rebuild their churches right in the epicenter of Islam? What is it? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power. It's that anointing of the Holy Spirit that when you're not expecting it will stand up in you and say enough is enough. We're God's people. We're going to do what God says if it costs us everything. Spurgeon said this world is not our passage. It's, our, it's not our portion. It's our passage. My dad used to say my mom's in service with us today and I honor them and their years and years of ministry. But my dad used to say about this world, who wants a high-class job on a sinking ship? <laughs> There's no glory about being captain of the Titanic. I don't want to discourage you and I don't want to blow your theological halos off, but this world's going down. But the church is coming up. And you know how? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not our systems, it's not our plans, it's not our, be our better strategies. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's what conceived Jesus, it's what sent him to the cross, it's what allowed him to perform miracles, signs and wonders. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about denominations, I'm not even talking about spiritual gifts. I'm talking about the abiding power of the God by breath. The breath of God that makes the church what it is. Okay, so that's kind of my introduction. And I have two quick categories for you, and then I'll be through. 
The Holy Spirit makes us who and what we are. The Holy Spirit gives us hope. The Holy Spirit gives us life. Jesus said, you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me. I've come from a Pentecostal background. I was raised in Pentecost all my life. I've seen about everything you can imagine in church. Some of it was powerful. Some of it was nutty. There was no shortage, it seemed, of granola Christians, you know, nuts, fruits, and flakes. But also know that there was an evening one time in the middle of a great revival where Burley Miller was on one side of me and Buton Dunham was on the other side. And one was saying, let go. The other was saying, hold on. And one just said, say Jesus so fast till you can't say it plain anymore. And I did. And that little nine-year-old boy left that service under the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if that was the right way to do it or wrong way. I'm just telling you, it worked for me. And that's been 50 not quite 50 years ago. But just so we understand what the Holy Spirit is, let me just explain it. What is the Holy Spirit? Number one, according to John chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus speaking says, When the Helper, and he's speaking of the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to be the spirit of truth and the testimony of Jesus. You know what? You know why the enemy is trying to get us to compromise and why the pressures of this culture are trying to get us to approve things that God clearly disapproves? You know why? Because he is trying to rob us of the power of the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that will cause us to stand in truth. It's not what I say to you. It's not what any man or woman says to you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that is the spirit of truth. How do you know that you're not going to be deceived and you're not going to be led astray? It's because of the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and he is the testimony of Jesus Christ. So anytime anyone is trying to do something under the guise of the Holy Spirit that doesn't give glory to Jesus, we know that's not of God because the Holy Spirit is the testimony of Jesus. Anytime it's bringing glory to themselves, anytime it's exalting themselves, it's not that, this is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Spirit is the Spirit of truth and the testimony of Jesus. Number two, the Holy Spirit is the divine unction and power to be a Christian and a witness. Paul said it this way to the Philippian church in chapter 2 verse 13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So the fact is, if you're able to do what, what a Christian ought to do, it's not because you're good, because you're not good. I don't want to offend you. It's just the truth. You're, none of us are worthy. Can I get an amen for that? Anything that we achieve or anything that we accomplish, any way that we are like Christ, it's not because we have learned to be like Christ. It's because the Holy Spirit inside of us is giving us the unction and the power to be a Christian and to be a witness. So he's the spirit of truth and the testimony of Jesus. He's the divine unction and power to be a Christian and a witness. He's God working in you. And then number three, he is the comforter, the one who comes alongside. He's the one that walks alongside those who are being martyred. He's the one who stands in the cage with those that are being burned. He's the one who comes alongside those who are rejected. He's the one that comes alongside those who lose their business for their conscientious spiritual stand. He's the one that comes alongside. He is the fulfillment of Jesus saying, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, but will go with you even unto the end of the age. He is the fulfillment of Paul when he said, neither height nor depth nor principalities nor power nor things in the past nor things to come shall be able to separate me 
from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26, on that same night, Jesus is talking with his disciples. He says, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. And he calls him the Comforter. Now, secondly, what does the Holy Spirit do? What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, this is what I've learned about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will awaken your soul and put your flesh to sleep. I said the Holy Spirit will awaken your soul while it simultaneously puts your flesh to sleep. A lot of us are struggling with the flesh. We all do, right? It's a daily battle. Paul said we die every day. But you know who's involved in that death process? The power of the Holy Spirit. And as it awakens your heart, there is a surrender of your flesh to the will of God. See, we try to do better. We, th- listen, the whole concept of the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life is not self-help nor a better you. This is not making a better you. This is about making a brand new you. This is not about reformation. It's about transformation. You are being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's not because you're learning to do better. It's not because you're about to master this thing called Christianity because you can't do it because the flesh is constantly present with you. But the Holy Spirit in you will stand up and give you the strength and the power and put your flesh to sleep. Suddenly you won't, do the, you won't want to do the things that you used to do because there's a power inside of you. You say, wait a minute, yesterday I wanted to do that. Today I don't think I do. The Holy Spirit will awaken your soul. You know what we need in the church? We need awakened soul. I, I, I read the passage where Paul says it's past time to wake up. It's high time for the day, the, the day is far spent and the night is at hand. We should wake up. Look at your neighbor and say, wake up. But you know, if you do awaken, it'll be the Holy Spirit that awakens you. You know why you come to meetings like this? You know what we're praying for the next few services? We're praying that God collectively will cause us to wake up so that we can lay aside fear and anxiety and anxiousness over all the things that are going on in the world and what's happening with Jade Helm and whoever, you know, whatever the, the conspiracy of the government. Listen, the Bible says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it like a river as he pleases. Never think God's out of control. God's in control of what's going on in every country and every nation. God has veto power over every legislative body. There is no court of appeal above God. He is God. So don't worry about what you got to do. Let him do what he wants to do through you. And you'll always be right. You'll always be right. The Holy Spirit, what does he do? He will awaken your soul and put your flesh to sleep. The second thing I've found that the Holy Spirit does, he'll soften your heart while he hardens your resolve. Isn't that an interesting enigma? Isn't that an interesting irony? that suddenly the tears will begin to come. Where'd that come from? While at the same time you're thinking, I will not budge, I'm standing for God. (laughs) Because the Holy Spirit will soften your heart while it hardens your resolve. Things that you used to say, well, I'd rather not say, or I'd rather not, I believe there's a holy boldness about to come on the church of Jesus Christ in America. I'm talking about the anointed Holy Spirit church of America, of every denomination who love the Lord and are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. There is going to be an apostate church that's going to arise and compromise, and there's going to be a remnant church that's going to arise with strength and stamina by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Thirdly, I found that the Holy Spirit will cause your knees to bend while it stiffens your back to stand. I do believe it's the Holy Spirit that will move us to pray like we've never prayed before. Are you all in the room with me? I believe it's the Holy Spirit that will motivate us to turn the news off and pick up the Bible. This is just blocking and tackling. For you coaches out there, this is just fundamental stuff. That's how you win championships, isn't it? You win championships just with fundamentals. The church needs to begin to pray again. But we need the Holy Spirit to awaken our soul. The church needs to get back into the Word of God. There's a solution. There's an answer. God has an answer for what's going on in the world. It happened. Did you know the church exploded in the first century? That was the point of my bumper video. Is the church exploded during the great persecution of the Roman era. And literally historians will give us, at least in part, the credit for the demise of the Roman Empire. You know why? Because when they tried to stomp the fire out, it spread in three more places. You just, The blood of the martyrs has always been the seed of the church. So try as they may. They will not succeed because the church is alive and well. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit hasn't changed. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. The Holy Spirit will cause your knees to bend while it stiffens your back to stand. Number four. The Holy Spirit will calm your nerves while it stirs your passions for God. I believe, this is what I believe. I've thought about it hours on end, studied, looked at history. Some of the greatest, most, most beautiful writings we have of the church came from people who were facing imminent death and persecution. Some of the most transcendent, calming beauty Artwork, are you hearing what I'm saying? Artwork, literature, some of the most beautiful songs. I was thinking about during the, the, the time of Martin Luther and the Great Reformation. Martin Luther wasn't a perfect man, I'll tell you that for sure. But he saw something, he had a revelation. In Latin, they were called the solas. Latin in solus in Latin means only. And Martin Luther, who had been part of, of the corruption of, of the universal Catholic Church at that time, that had grown so corrupt, and when they began to sell indulgences where you could pay the church an offering and then go sin before you sinned, something rose up in him and he said, That's enough. That's enough. Most of you have studied history and he he pinned his 95 theses and, and nailed them to the cathedral door. And the anthem of the church in that time frame, the words, there were five solas. Sola scriptura. That means only the word of God. Sola gracia. Only the grace of God. Sola fidea. Only faith. And there were two added, sola Christus, only Christ. And I love the last one, sola de gloria. That means only for the glory of God. Some of the most beautiful thinkers 
and thought, some of the deepest theological revelation came out of the incredible persecution. I can't promise you today in this auditorium that we will not endure persecution. But I can promise you that if we do, the God of all comfort and the power of the Holy Spirit will rise up in you. I can promise you that. Whatever you lost, whatever you lose, whatever the cost, you won't do it alone. If you look in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is revival. It was the Holy Spirit that caused Ezekiel's dead bones and dry bones to come together again. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of prophecy in Revelation 19.10. He helps us understand what to get ready for and what's coming. The Holy Spirit is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. According to Romans chapter 8 verse 11, and it will also be the power that will raise us from the dead. You understand I'm not talking about speaking in tongues, prophecy, or any other gift. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit that's your life. It's your oxygen. It's your power to stand. Stand with me, would you? It's your witness. It's your overcoming strength. It's your understanding and clarity. It's your focus. It's your love. It's your passion. When Jesus breathed on them, he imparted a part of God that they needed to walk the walk and work the work he wanted them to accomplish. Like Abram in the Old Testament, when he became after 25 years of walking in the promise and seeing no fruit, God met him in Genesis chapter 17 and said, Abraham, you have walked faith- Abram, you have walked faithfully before me. You have walked faithfully before me. No longer will your name be called Abram. It will be called Abraham. He added an H. Everybody say he added an H. When God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush, he told Moses, he said, You tell Pharaoh and the children of Israel, I am that I am, has sent you to them. Therefore you shall say to them, I am has sent you. And it's interesting, read it when you go home in Exodus chapter 3 because he goes on to say, and this shall be my name to all generations and my memorial to all, or rather my memorial to all generations. This shall be my name forever and this shall be my memorial to all generations. I am is, a, it's, it's four consonants in the Hebrew. There are no vowel points in the Hebrew language. And so there are four consonants, Y-H-W-H. Everybody say Y-H-W-H. You've heard me talk about that before perhaps. You say, well, in my Bible it says Jehovah. Or in other translations it says Jehovah. Well, the Jehovah, the word Jehovah was created by the Maseratic translators a thousand years later who did not want to blaspheme the secret name of God. So they took the vowels from the word Adonai, which means Lord or possessor, and blended them with the four consonants, Y-H-W-H. When God told Moses, this is my name forever and shall be my memorial to all generations. Scholars have debated over years of where those four consonants come from, and they finally settled on the fact that those four consonants were from a Hebrew verb, that means causes to be. 
causes to be. How many are glad today that your God's name is a verb? But the interesting thing is, if you say them, say them with me. Y-H-W-H. You can't say a single one of them without exhaling. Every one of those consonants require that you breathe in, and then when you speak it, you breathe out. When God said, Abram, you'll no longer be called Abram, but Abraham. He exhaled into Abram's life. And you say, well, that's kind of far-fetched. Well, you study it for yourself because, and he said, and as for your wife, Sarai, no longer will she be called Sarai. She will be called Sarah. And God dropped the I and added an H. I believe when Jesus, Pastor Brown, I believe when Jesus told his disciples, he said, don't be afraid, look. He said, listen. In the same way I have been sent, conceived of the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, miracles and signs and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit, raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the same way that I have been sent, so send I you. Receive the Holy Spirit. The same thing God did with Abram, that brought life to that dead body. And incidentally, in less than one year, that little old woman was pregnant. The same thing that God did to them is what Jesus did to the disciples. They'd witnessed it, they'd seen it, they couldn't deny it, but they needed something beyond their belief. They needed something beyond their faith. They needed an impartation. And that impartation was directly from the breath of God. And can I tell you, if they needed it, so do we. If you're trying to say, I can't make ends meet. My finances don't add up. I seem like my wife and I were always at ends. We're all at odds. We're, we can't get along. If you're looking at any deficiency in your life, it could be because there's a part of God that needs to be deposited in your life. There's too much of you, too much like Sarah, too much I, and not enough H. When we come together in a moment around these altars and I release that word over you, four words that are larger than life, bigger than struggles, bigger than problems, bigger than difficulties, bigger than what's going on in the news, bigger than Wall Street, bigger than Washington. Are you all in the room with me? You say, okay, what do I have to do? All you've got to do is just breathe in and receive. You breathe in and receive because it's a gift. It's not something you earn or you work it's not something you deserve, so settle that before you even come forward. You can't be good enough to get it. Four words that are larger than life. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to come. But before I do, I want you to understand that the world's being rocked by the Spirit-filled experience. Did you know 35,000 people every day are being baptized with the Holy Spirit? Did you know 8 out of 10 converts in Asia are being saved in Pentecostal or charismatic movements? That's China, Indonesia, Malaysia, Japan, 8 out of 10. And I just heard an interesting statistic. Revival's coming to America. I said revival's coming to America. You know why? 
Did you know Berkeley? I'm, I'm sorry, University of California? The most liberal, one of the most liberal schools in the nation? Today, one out of every four students is Asian. In Latin America, Pentecostalism is growing at three times the rate of Catholicism. The spirit-filled experience in all denominations is growing at two and a half times the rate of Islam globally. One out of every 12 people on the planet today professes a Pentecostal charismatic experience. Are you all in the room with me? And I could go on and go on and go on. But let's talk about America. Two weeks ago, the International Missions Board... All of my dear friends and brethren in the Southern Baptist that I love and speak for and appreciate that denomination and its contribution. It's not about denominationalism. Can I get an amen? amen. La this last two weeks ago, the International Missions Board of the Southern Baptist Convention led by David Platt lifted its ban on missionaries who professed to speak with other tongues and welcomed them into their fellowship in the first time in their history. Their history. So my question to you today is the same question that Paul asked the Ephesian disciples in Acts chapter 19. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Today many are trying to live victorious lives without having received the power of the Holy Spirit. They believe for salvation, but they haven't believed for power. But in this day in which we're standing, in this moment in history, we can't afford not to have the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? If you're here today and you'd say, Brother Brassfield, I haven't. If you, like the Ephesian disciples, would say, I have not so much as even understood that there was something more than just believing that I could experience. But as you've preached today, as you've led us through your notes today, I realize that I've tried to do so much on my own. But I believe today after hearing this message that there's more. There is a power that I need to receive by faith. If you're here today and you would say, I was filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit years ago. But if I'm honest today, there's too much I in me and not enough H. There's too much of I can do it and not enough of Lord do it through me. If that's you in this room, either one of those, I want to open these altars up and I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, I want you, you can't afford it to be without it, I promise you. I'm going to get to three. I want you to step out from where you stand and I want you to come and receive all that God has for you. One, two, three. You may be saying, are you, coming, are you asking me to come and speak with tongues? I'm asking you to come and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He'll work all that out. That's all I'm asking you to do. Or if you need your soul stirred up, what if we started this series of meetings? With a, with a fresh experience of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. 
Lord, I just ask right now, Lord, that in every chair in this room, every heart, Lord, every person, Lord, we know we can do nothing apart from you. And Holy Spirit, we say that you're welcome here. We're not afraid you're going to do something crazy. This is your church. If I'm an elder, I have no right to vote anything and own anything apart from what you say. Lord, as a leader in the body of Christ, I have no authority in myself. It's only what comes from you. I'm beholding not to the counsels of men or to the political pundits in Washington. I'm beholding only to you and to your word. Lord, where fear has been, I've dismissed that fear now because I have come to understand and I heard you say, it's not about what you do, it's about what I'm going to do. So Lord, I just ask that you would always align me with what you want to do. And Father, we thank you for that this morning. Bless everyone who's heard today, God, this word. I pray, God, as they go, that they would meditate on it and simmer on it, Lord. For I know that you're coming for a church without spot and without blemish. A church that's anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to pray for these that have come, but if you would, I'd love for the prayer team.